Welcome to the sermon podcast of Paley Presbyterian Church. The following sermon is by Pastor Jonathan Mikesell. We know, as Becca mentioned earlier, one of our core principles, core values as Paoli Presbyterian Church, those things that have been the case in the past and will continue to be the case into the future, is that when young people thrive, everyone thrives. We recognize that. We understand that um, in, a, in a church like ours, where we have generations from the youngest to the oldest, that it's important for us to be able to come together and to recognize the importance and the significance particularly of discipling that next future generation. We know that when children, when youth, when young people learn to know God, when they have a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, and when they engage in the broader life of the congregation, the rest of the church soars. We can see it in your faces when you see those children sing and lead us like they've done this morning. Healthy churches include all generations. Younger generations certainly bring a unique energy. They bring a unique optimism that's needed by every single one of us. And so this morning, we have certainly uh, gained a glimpse into that, and we're grateful for the ways that God is at work among us. As we turn our attention for the few moments that we have together this morning to that passage that was just read for us from John chapter 21, there are a couple of ways in which we see in that passage intergenerational, multi-generational impact for the kingdom of God. In this case, Jesus was the example. Jesus was the first generation, and what a first generation that is. In fact, it's the first generation for each and every one of us to follow. But Jesus said there in verse 22 that was read at the very end of a couple of those sections of Scripture, follow me. Those were words to his immediate disciples, and those are words to each one of us. Young, old, all of us are called to follow after Jesus. We're to learn from him. We're to receive the guidance and the help of the Holy Spirit as we seek to live out the path that God has before us. But that relationship with Jesus, it doesn't stop with me or you or even our immediate circumstances. We are also called to invite others to follow in our footsteps, pointing them to the one to whom we are following, Jesus Christ. In other words, it's a call for us, follow me as I follow Jesus. Maybe you haven't thought of it quite like that, but the reality is that that's what being a follower of Jesus Christ is all about. It's about calling others, inviting others to follow after us as we follow after Jesus Christ. Now, for some of you, that may sound a bit daunting. I know a couple of years ago, there was this big thing with uh, NBA players saying they're not role models. They're they're not being an influence on others. But here's a, a little rule of thumb. There are people who are watching you, whether you want to admit it or not, whether you like to admit it or not, There are people who are watching you. Young, old people you work with, people in your neighborhoods, you are having an impact. The question isn't, are you or are you not having an impact? The question is, what is the influence and the impact that you're having? Are you being one who is pointing others to Jesus as they follow after you? Are they they seeing Jesus in and through your life? 
Or is your life pushing and pointing them in some other direction? And this morning, as we think about this passage of Scripture from John 21, we're going to see two particular examples, two particular sets of circumstances in which Jesus demonstrates for us the significance of this multi-generational, multi, uh, multi-levels of following after Jesus, but also pointing others to the good news of Jesus Christ. The first part of what was read there in John chapter 21 was a time shortly after the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're two weeks after Easter in our particular calendar, and they were something about that similar time after the resurrection. Yes, the passage tells us that Jesus had appeared to the disciples on two other occasions, confirming that he really was alive, that he really had come back from the dead. But things were far from normal for the disciples and in, in the ways that they were living things out at that point in time. They weren't sure what was going to happen to them. They weren't sure whether Jesus was going to come back. He had shown himself to be alive, but did that mean that they were going to renew the ministry that they had done before the crucifixion and resurrection? What was all of this going to mean for their lives? What was all of this going to mean for the ways that they interacted with one another? And in the midst of this trying and difficult time, seven of these disciples decided to do something that that they were very familiar with. You know, sometimes when we're going through times of of extreme difficulty, we need something that we can go back to that that we're familiar with, something that we particularly enjoy. And for these seven disciples of Jesus, that thing was fishing. They had come out of a life of fishing before that, and this was a reminder to them of something that was familiar with them, something that they were comfortable with. And so they decided, following Peter's lead, to go out, get in their boats late one evening, and spend the night fishing. Perhaps they thought that by getting out there on the water, they could clear their heads a little bit. Maybe they could get some peace. They could get some refocus. They could have an enjoyable time and and be focused for the next day. But if they were depending on that being a very successful night of fishing, it wasn't going to turn out to be what they had hoped. Because the passage tells us that by the time they got to near dawn, they checked their nets and there were still no fish found in those nets. Now on top of all of the things that they were questioning over the last couple of weeks, now they had to begin to wonder, what, are we, what can we do? What are we good at at all? I mean, if, if we can't even return to fishing, What is it that our lives can be centered on? The questions had to continue to grow in their minds as they began to make their way back toward the shore on that early morning. But as they did so, there was someone they noticed over on the beach who said to them, have you caught any fish? Have you caught any fish? Maybe what you should do is put the net on the right side of the boat. Put it over on the other side of the boat and see what happens? Now, we know in reading this passage that they were talking to Jesus. But for some reason, whether it was the distance, whether it was for some reason he had hidden this fact, they didn't know that it was Jesus who was giving those instructions. And again, we, another question we might have is, well, why did they follow it? I mean, if someone just over there on the shore tells me to go do something, I'm not necessarily going to follow in those instructions. But they went ahead and they did it. And when they did, when they did those nets were full, so full that they couldn't even pull them out of the water. Jesus 
was still in the miracle business. They had seen Jesus do miracles for years. And during this time of uncertainty, they may have questioned what was going on. But Jesus was there on that day to remind them that he was indeed alive, that he was still indeed one who could and would perform miracles, that he would and still did change their world and change their lives. Now, this notion of expanding our understanding of the possible is something that is actually something that we adults can learn from children. Because one of the things, if there's anything that that children are particularly good at, it's at imagining the impossible. If we, if we talk to children, many of them have an ability to tell us stories and recollections and things that, are, that, that maybe those of us who are adults say, mm, I don't know if that's possible, but they sure are convinced. Jen and I um, have a, a five-year-old nephew, Gunter, and, and Gunter likes to tell stories. Gunter was born in Texas, and his family moved back to Pennsylvania when he was probably about two years old. But he likes to tell the stories of his time in California, when he lived in California with his wife and with his family and his career and all the things that he did in California. It was, he's, he's a, a pretty amazing and interesting storyteller. Now, we can sit back and we can laugh and we can say, you know, Gunter, you never lived in California. You don't have a family in California. But for a little five-year-old boy, you know, he can imagine some things and he can, in doing so, he can help us to understand a little bit more about God. Because you see, God isn't confined by the things that we can see and touch and that we can understand. Those disciples, they thought that they knew, if there was anything that they knew about, it was fishing. And if there was anything that they could do, it was fish. They, they didn't need anyone to tell them that it was, they needed to put the net on the other side. They didn't need anyone to tell them that, that God was still at work. And yet, God was still at work. And this morning, as we think about this intergenerational ministry and the work of, of children's ministries and the ways that, that we have opportunity to influence children and they have opportunity to influence us, one of the ways that that happens is by children helping us to remember that the God we serve is far bigger than even our wildest imaginations. God is at work. Now, there is a flip side to that coin, isn't it? There is a flip side to the coin of, of imagination, and that is where we adults have opportunity to impact and influence children and others who are coming behind us. Sometimes we have the opportunity to do that by recounting and remembering the ways that God has worked in the past, and by doing so, giving encouragement and reminder that God, that same God is at work in the present. One of the challenges of youth is gaining perspective. You know, it's, it's very easy for children, teenagers, even young adults to, to see the challenges around us and to think that the world has never seen it like this before. It's never happened like this before. We've never been in such a set of circumstances. And yet one of the quirks of history that we know is that much of history repeats itself, right? There are very, very few things that are absolutely unique in the world in which we live. They may look a little bit different, but in many respects, the circumstances and situations of our world have happened before. And that's where those who have a few years of experience can come alongside and can say, you know what? I know it looks really tough. It looks really difficult today. But we had a situation like that 20 years ago. 
or 50 years ago or 75 years ago. And you know what? God was with us then. God provided for us then. And God will continue to provide for us today. The disciples, they had to be reminded of the miracle-working, incredible power of God. And this morning, many of us need that same reminder. That same reminder that God can do things beyond our wildest imagination. But we also need to remember and, rem- and think about the ways that God has helped us in the past and recognizing that that same God is at work in the present, desiring to make a difference in our lives and in our world. Jesus, Jesus helped his disciples to see beyond their own ability to an expanded world of God. And we're encouraged as others follow us to likewise follow Jesus into a world that we may not always understand, but a world in which God is greater and a world which reflects the ways that God has helped us in the past. Jesus helped the disciples to understand that in the first big section of this passage, but he wasn't finished with a lesson for those who were coming after him. You'll probably remember that Peter was boastful prior to Jesus' crucifixion. And it was at this point, after breakfast on this morning by the beach, after this incredible miracle of great catch of fish, that Jesus needed to remind Peter and needed to teach Peter an important lesson, a lesson about forgiveness and a lesson about the grace of God. Now, a few weeks earlier, on that night of Jesus' betrayal, when he went before and was, was taken um, and, and was being prepared to be crucified, Peter had before that said that he would follow Jesus anywhere, no matter where Jesus went, even if it was to death, that Peter would stand firm and Peter would remain with Jesus. But on that night, facing the pressure of potentially joining Jesus in death, Peter, on three separate occasions, denied even knowing that he knew Jesus at all. It was a great personal failure on Peter's part, and one for which we read in Scripture that he experienced incredible personal agony. Now, some days later, Peter had to wonder. He had to wonder whether there was any way to restore that relationship with his friend and his mentor, Jesus. So after breakfast, after that incredible catch of fish, Jesus asked Peter a very simple question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter quickly responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Now, we don't know what doubts may have been going through his mind. We don't know what questions and wondering why was Jesus asking this were were happening before him. But he was quick with his renewed devotion to Jesus. But Jesus wasn't finished. Two more times, Jesus asked, do you love me? And two more times, Peter responded, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. But by the third time, Peter felt hurt. What was Jesus doing? Why was he questioning me so much? Would Jesus welcome me back into this relationship? But Jesus wasn't trying to get even with Peter for Peter's betrayal. Instead, Jesus was reminding Peter that in spite of Peter's previous actions, Jesus still had a place for him. Jesus still wanted Peter 
to follow me. In essence, what Jesus was doing was extending grace to Peter. Three different times mirroring the three ways in which Peter had denied knowing Jesus, Jesus was extending that grace, that forgiveness, and that hope to Peter. And every single one of us has in a similar way been in need of God's grace. No, we maybe haven't articulated that clear outward denial of knowing Jesus as Peter had done, but we've all sinned. We've all gone against the teachings of Jesus. As a result, we all deserve judgment and rejection. But that isn't what we receive. Instead, like Peter, we receive an invitation to forgiveness and right relationship with God. In fact, Jesus came to die even before we had committed those sins, knowing that we would commit those sins. He came because he loved us and desires that forgiveness to be extended to us. Have you received that grace and forgiveness? Have you received that renewed relationship with Jesus? That's how we begin to follow Jesus. It's an amazing gift that Jesus offers to us. Here's the thing. As we mentioned earlier, that's not the end. Having received that grace and forgiveness from Jesus Christ, we are invited to extend that grace into the relationships of our world and of our lives. Generational conflict can sometimes seem like the norm in our culture. Older generations criticize the young for all sorts of wild behavior. Younger generations criticize the older for being stuck in their ways or out of touch with reality. Each needs to recognize the grace that we have all received from God and seek ways that we can extend that grace into our relationships with others. And while that's a, an invitation for all generations, sometimes it has to start with, with older generations because we older generations have seen and experienced that grace firsthand in many, many different ways. We know the impact that it's had on our lives. We know what it's like to receive that grace and we know what it's like to have the opportunity to extend that grace and forgiveness. Children and younger generations are going to do things with which we disagree, and in fact, things that are wrong. Peter did something that was wrong. He went in the face of his mentor and friend, Jesus. And yet, Jesus extended that grace. And we're invited to do something similar. Younger generations need to also extend that same grace when they're misunderstood or when others come across in ways that, that maybe they don't understand. Grace is a, a two-way street. And it's an invitation for us to learn from Jesus in this way. And so on this Children's Ministry Sunday, we celebrate the impact that the thriving younger generations have on each and every one of us. We recognize the blessing of God's work in their lives. And we recognize the invitation and the opportunity for each one of us to positively inter interact with and impact those generations coming behind. Are we open to the amazing ways that God can and will work in our lives? Are we open to recounting how God has worked in the past as a means of encouragement for the present? Are we open to extending that grace that we have ourselves received from God to those who are around us, those who are coming after us, those with whom we have relationship. The Holy Spirit is present to help each one of us in this task. And so it's with God's help that we can invite others to follow me as I follow Jesus.
that following has happened down through the ages of church history. We have been, over these last several months now, been reciting together the Apostles' Creed. This opportunity that we have to say again and again words that were passed down through, to us from previous generations. Those who have gone before us, who followed Jesus, and in whose footsteps we are following. And now in whose, the, the path that we have an opportunity to shed before those who come after us. And so this morning, once again, we are going to share the words of the Apostles' Creed as together we remember this foundation of our faith. Let's say it together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.